Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Mallion, as ever, sports editor of The Independent, and alongside me today, two uh, European football experts, I believe is the exact phrase we like to use. Uh, first of all, returning from having done two Champions League quarterfinals in the last two nights, is Jack Pitbrook. Hi, Ed, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? A little travel weary. Uh, yeah, I'm just about hanging in there. Um, and alongside, dare I say that this is a first podcast appearance for Jack Rathborn is that correct it is Ed yeah thank so you Jack Rathborn on the pod today um for the first time don't screw it up uh, or you'll never get invited back they're the rules um that's why for example Luke never comes on um first things first Champions League last night um an extraordinary evening Jack Pitbrook sorry it's two Jacks I just realized so it's going to get confusing you were there you were at where was it the Etihad yeah um, for what can only be described as one of the wildest Champions League nights I can remember in a long time. Yeah, I can't really remember a game like it. I mean, the obvious comparison is Man City 5, Monaco 3, but of course this was much bigger than that, not least because it was a quarterfinal second leg rather than a last 16 first leg. Uh, you don't often get games that have not only that many swings in terms of, uh, you know, seven goals on the night and... Spurs going through, City going through, Spurs going through, but also within that, the swings of the Sterling disallowed goal, the potential Urente uh, goal being disallowed, which of course it wasn't, it, it was upheld. Um, so in terms of the back and forth and the up and down of emotion, it was incredible. Uh, and I've never really seen anything like it. But I guess the bigger picture, if we zoom out, is it's a disaster for City. It's an absolute disaster for City because their quadruple dreams are over. Guardiola, as we know, is obsessed about the Champions League. Um, it's you know last year City got 100 points in the Premier League. They were obviously good enough to win the Champions League, but they got splattered by Liverpool in the quarterfinals. This year again, City are clearly good enough to win the Champions League. Again, they've gone out in the quarterfinals. Like when Pep was at Bayern, people used to say he had this kind of semi-final curse, where even though they were probably the best team in Europe over that three-year spell, he was at Bayern. I think they were probably better than better than Real Madrid. They're very good, yeah. Better than Atletico, better than Barca over that three-year spell. And yet he couldn't even get to a final. With City, he can't even get to the semis. And I think City are, like, give or take as good as Pep's Bayern team were. And that's really interesting. Like, I think um, the piece that I wrote immediately from the game, I said that I kind of pinpointed the two away goals that City gave away with through the Imeric-Laporte mistakes, which are very uncharacteristic mistakes right at the start. And I said, well, you know, maybe this is the kind of classic Pep Champions League wobble, which we've seen a lot of over the years uh, at City, but also at Bayern. And that the way that Pep coaches means that his teams have these kind of moments where they go a bit haywire. And perhaps that is, that's like the root of why this went wrong and, and why City screwed it up. Do you think he got it wrong just... The first leg, they were quite conservative. Yeah, yeah. Um, when really, like, the away goals would have been hugely crucial. And then 
this leg they went full out attack which essentially gives Spurs the opportunity to score more away goals which in the end proved to be the difference between the two teams do you think that in that respect he got this whole tie wrong well I would disagree with you about the second leg in in the sense that I thought City City were fantastic in the second leg and while they did give away well they gave away three goals in the end the goals they gave away were through individual mistakes rather than being too tactically open I kind of half agree with you about the first leg because obviously the Guardiola selection didn't work um but I do think that maybe that was the I think it was probably still the right idea for that game I think that given the injuries that City had and the tiredness and the focus they wanted to have on the Crystal Palace game coming up, they it kind of made sense to play a more cautious game. And of course, they missed a penalty. Like if Aguero had scored that penalty 10 minutes into the first leg, then I mean, who knows what would have been the score in the first leg. But I'm sure we'd be having a very difficult, different conversation this afternoon. Yeah, I think it's interesting in terms of a, a contrast between last season and this season as uh, Guardiola almost caught in two minds and next season therefore becomes even more fascinating as to how he approaches the Champions League. I mean, if he played this season over 10 times, I think City probably advanced to the semi-finals on half of those occasions and maybe get to a couple of finals. So maybe it's a case of still bad luck. I mean, you've seen sides like Chelsea in the past just really knocking on the door so many times and when eventually they did break it down, it was perhaps with a lot of luck and maybe one of their worst sides of that previous decade. So it's interesting now for me as to where where Pep goes with this team. Does he does he tinker with it a lot over the summer or does he just persevere and hope that luck sort of shines on the next season? Yeah, I think that's a really important point about the importance of luck. Uh, Jonathan Wilson did a very good piece in The Guardian this morning, which I'd recommend reading, which was kind of like different from the angle that I took, but I think I probably ended up agreeing with it, pointing to the importance of luck, saying that, yeah, like Pep hasn't won the Champions League since 2011. And he, as he says, like, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm now I'm a failure in this competition. But his teams have been really unlucky. There have been so many moments, whether it's like Chelsea against Barcelona, whether it's Bayern against Atletico, Bayern against Barca, Bayern against Real Madrid. Volcanic ash cloud. Yeah, like there have been a million different things which have conspired to like lots of little details which have added up to mean that he hasn't had the record that he should have done. And it's not like you can't always explain the events that happen on the pitch because a manager is good or bad. Like there is lots of random variation in knockout football. The other thing I guess we should talk about is... um, Spots, who won? Yeah, well, no, sorry. Okay, two things we should talk about. One, we should talk about Spurs um, because, I mean, this is enormous for them. And I think that all the, t- the, t- the talk about, you know, Pochettino hasn't won a trophy. He hasn't won a trophy yet. He hasn't won a trophy yet. Like, we hear it every single time. But you're looking at what he's done with Spurs now with a, a net spend of whatever it is, like £1.5 million per year over the last few years. And you're looking at that club and you say they've got a brand new stadium they're in the last four of the Champions League against Ajax now some people will say that's winnable I think it's a 50-50 tie for me I think Ajax are a really good young team as we'll get on to later on Spurs are a very good team but we're looking at Spurs now if they get the top four in the Premier League which I think they're going to now they, they kind of came over that yeah. wobble with the, the win against Palace and then kicked on against was it Huddersfield at the weekend they're in the last four of the, of the Champions League, potentially a final, potentially winners of the Champions League. Uh, this is actually Pochettino's big breakthrough season. And it again highlights how ridiculous it was of, of Manchester United and Real Madrid to just go with the, the kind of the easy job, basically. And, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, and Zinedine Zidane, when 
you like to think that you know Pochettino now has, has outshone most coaches in Europe this season. Yeah, it's an amazing achievement for Spurs. And I completely agree with you that it's like of the same level as winning the Carabao Cup or even winning the FA Cup. Like I wrote that you know, Pochettino has always been told, oh, you've got you to go win the FA Cup, you've got to go win the Carabao Cup, even though he's finished like third and second in the Premier League with the sixth biggest budget con- continuously. Now he's taken this, these players into the Champions League semi-finals in a season in which they didn't play their first home game until like the 4th of April and they have spent no money for, from last season which Remarkable. is literally unprecedented at this level uh, that's an incredible that is an incredible achievement and it shows a different set of skills from the skills that got them second or third in the league like it shows there is you know they can handle big games they can handle big moments they do know how to manage the game they do know how to ride their luck like yeah they were kind of rubbish yesterday from a lot of the game um, they Son took the two goals early on fantastically. And of course, if he hadn't done that, then City would have just wiped the floor with He's them. a joke right now. Yeah, okay. he's incredible. He's on an amazing hot streak. He's You just knew when he got both times when he got the ball, you so knew he was going to score. Because yeah. he's, he's an incredible finisher from just outside the box. It's like you can't give him an inch of space. Uh, but then after that, yeah, like Spurs struggled an awful lot. And as they were always going to, because they didn't have a midfield. They were playing. They rolled out Victor Wanyama, who's barely played all year. Uh, Sissoko, who is incredibly their best midfielder, went off injured, because, and Winks is also injured. So, like, it and was... He couldn't bring... You almost got the impression Skip warmed up, yeah. and then he thought, I'd, ra- I'd rather bring on Llorente than Skip, which uh, it, it, it was wild at the time. Like, I, did, I, didn't know, I didn't know if that was a good decision. Obviously, you know, the result in the end suggests it was, but it, it was a bizarre one. Um... And the other thing that I really want to talk about this game, which I think you have to talk about this game, is is VAR, right? So where do we stand on it now? Because the whole point of it is that, you know, the Champions League is too big and too valuable and there are two, like, rich clubs playing that you can have someone... Like, you can't have anyone getting knocked out because of a bad decision. You could still argue that Manchester City were knocked out by a bad decision yesterday. If that hits Llorente's elbow, which I think it does. Mm. Um... Then what you have is a moment of incredible joy, an absolute outbreak of elation and emotion when Sterling scores that goal late on, which has the potential to be like a historic Manchester City goal. Yeah. And then that is taken away because of a... It was an offside, I believe it. You know, I I agree it was offside. So where do we stand on that now? Because that for me was... uh, You know, I I was looking through it. It's like, I kind of... I get the people who are like, this is completely wrong. Football should be about emotion. Like, you shouldn't be celebrating a goal and then like, looking back and hoping it's given. But kind of, we've always been doing that with offside flags and stuff. This is a little bit longer. And, and so what's more important, the, the sanctity of the result and getting the result right or the emotion of the fan? I, yeah, I change my mind on this a lot. Um, I like Right now, I think that it is not worth getting every marginal decision right to the millimetre if it means destroying a lot of the a lot of how people process their emotions at football. I think that the emotional split second buzz of scoring a goal is like the lifeblood of being a football fan and going to football. And if you make every single goal contingent on a kind of ten second wait to see if anybody presses a button in a box then you are fundamentally changing what it means to be a football man who football fan who attends matches. 
Uh, I do think there's been a, there's a little bit of a difference on this between like football fans who go to matches who tend to hold the view that I just described and fans who like say at home and tweet about matches who because I do think VAR is like ultimately for the TV viewer it's not it's, it it is so obviously not for the fan in the stadium because it's a r- rubbish experience if you're a fan in the stadium and something gets overturned um and yeah, that currently I come on that I come down on that side of of the fence, but it is a really really difficult one. And I don't, I do realise that my argument is kind of like I, the flaws in my side of the, of the of the story. Yeah, I think it's uh, you make a good point in terms of removing the emotions from the game, but um, I think it's fair to say that there were still emotions last night in terms of when Spurs reacted to the the goal being disallowed. That that outbreak of emotion was almost as big as maybe had they scored a, a late winner in a traditional Well, there's sense. a great video of Pep, you know, like the, the utter elation of him sprinting around like a moron, like mm-hmm. just like, you know, as you would, like you lose, you don't care about anything else. You just, all you are is just happy. And you're watching him run around and he's just hugging anyone he can grab and he's just jumping. And then it, and then it stops and then he's looking and then when the decision comes, he just falls to his knees and it's like, wow, okay, I mean, this is, this is pretty extreme. I guess if you had a camera on the Spurs end, the away end, you, you see the fans like they can't believe it. They've just conceded this goal. Everyone around them celebrating, and when the goal gets ruled off, uh, chalked off, like that is them celebrating as if it were a goal. So, if this is going to stay, this is kind of what we were talking about earlier on on the desk. Is is this just like the new reality? Is that this is like what goals are like now, and it might be overturned. You might get that secondary goal cheer, which is the goal of the opposition is is ruled out. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we're a generation of fans who are split over the, the sort of the entrance of VAR in, into football. So imagining uh, the next generation of fans who are totally accustomed to VAR, I think their experience of football will be determined by the the secondary reaction that the Spurs fans experienced last night. So in that sense, I think it's just a changing of a guard in, 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 how, we, in how we consume football. I think uh, also whilst Jack's right in terms of getting every single minute detail right is maybe overboard there's no doubt that had Spurs been eliminated last night Mm. wrongly I think it's a decision that certainly Spurs rather than a club like City who can replicate their success season to season it would have haunted Spurs perhaps for who knows a decade or more there are repercussions you know because if if that led to say the breakup of this current Spurs Mm -hmm. team if, if this summer Ericsson goes Kane goes, Ali goes, mm-hmm. because their season unraveled after this point. Mm-hmm. Then you could point back to this very specific thing and be like, wow, at the impact of this. So that that's why it's in place. I get that. But, you know, I, I also said earlier on, you know, a, a really pure goal, like a strike from 30 yards or whatever, is still going to be worthy of that incredible celebration. You're, you're going to know it's not chalked off. It's just that it's just a different category of goal now. It's, it's a rarer thing. It's going to be a rarer thing mm-hmm. to have a pure celebration almost um and that's just something we have to get used to and if people are happy with that then then fine but ultimately the people that make the decisions in football are the money men and this is a thing designed around making sure that money men don't get stiffed isn't it that, yeah. that's how i feel about it absolutely and uh, you mentioned uh, the money men obviously vast majority is coming from broadcasters and as jack mentioned about it being a um, an entertainment um, sort of addition to uh, the the viewer at home, I think certainly everybody uh, who watched that game last night on, on, on television would have been con- consumed and 
would have enjoyed the spectacle of it much more had there been no VAR. So in that sense, they're they're getting what they want doubly. They're they're denying a, a wrongful progression of a side and and also captivating an audience that maybe wouldn't have been before. I think casual football fans are sort of sort of perplexed a little bit by this new technology and maybe intrigued to sort of uh, to watch it a bit more than maybe they would otherwise. Yeah, um, I I think you're right when you said that it it's not just removing emotion from the game. I've we heard overheard some City fans on the tram back late last night saying it removed emotion from the game. But you're right, it actually kind of doubles the emotion in the game. Oh, for sure, that, there are more emotional twists and turns. Right? Yeah, like you add this whole. This is one of the. This is kind of the unexpected. Maybe this is going to be what what makes VAR a success in the end is that the combination of like city score and then this is this is why last night was so unprecedented really an emotional level is like that the curve of city scoring city fans go wild for i don't know 30 seconds 40 seconds then you see like uh the referee chanet shakir fight like hear that something might be wrong and then the first fans celebrate and city fans go quiet then you get the confirmation when the flag goes up and then the spurs fans celebrate as if they've scored a goal which effectively they have and you've got a whole like second wave of emotions going around the stadium on to, like after the initial incident. And the same was almost true for Urente, except of course in this case, City didn't the, the City fans didn't get what they want, didn't get the goal getting overturned. So it does it does it does genuinely add to more like the sum total of emotion is increased. It's just kind of spread out in a different way. Yeah, and you know it, it's a new thing that people I guess are are getting used to as well, uh, which is different. Uh, if you, You've not got anything else to add on City Tottenham. I'm happy to move on to Liverpool Porto, which there's not a load to talk about because Liverpool essentially battered the hell out of Porto. Um two 0 from the first leg and then they, they spanked him last night. So really I guess it's just a case of Liverpool carrying on and, and Miguel's piece from, from Portugal said that basically they might be the most solid side that's left in the league. They must be the most, you know, in, in many ways they are a very kind of efficient machine now. Uh, Klopp's kind of got them ticking over. They're solid at the back with Virgil there. Uh, the midfield has got some options. The front three is deadly. So you're looking at this Liverpool team and, and all the talk has been, and basically they're focused on the Premier League title because that's the one they really want. So what if they go and win this by the back door? Yeah, I think they've, they've sort of been in the shadow of City's quadruple hopes and we've sort of forgot that an unprecedented double for Liverpool in terms of Champions League and um, Premier League is is almost within reach and distance. I yeah, think yeah. Um, Miguel mentioned the sort of serenity of their performance and it's uh, in total contrast from last season of the, the chaotic approach, um, particularly that front three. And um, Liverpool now are, are very much in control of most games. I think um, they potentially lack a little bit of um, craft in the midfield, but... The emergence of Naby Keita late in the season is is adding a little bit in that sense, but yeah, just very um, very much controlling games now. Um, the squad looks very happy. He's rotating nicely between league and Europe, and yeah, this is a side that now has match winners. It has um, an ability to absorb pressure. I think it's certainly the most uh, well-rounded side in, in in the final four. So we now got Liverpool playing against Barcelona. In the semi-final, uh, that's because Barcelona beat Manchester United on Tuesday night. Um, you know, I think we talked about that quite a lot before, and how 
I didn't really think it was that. Uh, I, I said last week, I don't think it was that great a result for Man United to hold Barca to one 0 because then you got to go to the new Camp and win, and then Barca through Messi. I mean, Messi scores a brilliant first goal, second one squirms under David de Gea, and then you know it's game over by that point. So Man United really gave it a good go in the opening fifteen minutes or so. They had some chances. Rashford off like thirty seconds shoots over, and that that could have changed the course of this game, no doubt. Um. But now Manchester United are out. I mean, how how do we look on their season? I think suddenly it's dawning on um, not just Manchester United fans, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer himself that um, the magnitude of the job and what awaits them in the the coming months. Didn't he say post match they they need a rebuild? You know, yeah, he, th- he's acknowledging that. Yeah, I think so, and um, I think he he's aware that. The initial uptick was emotional, um, almost relief that their, um, the shackles have been removed from the previous regime under Mourinho. And now he needs to show that he's a, a versatile manager, which I think is, it's fair to say, there's a, an element of doubt in that. Has he got the ability to um, to motivate these players, to show that he has the certainly the tactical nous in these games to change it? I think that's as United have started to become unstuck, Solskjaer's ability to change it, to, to modify his, his approach is, is, is a little bit hit and miss. And I think um, undoubtedly this, this side needs major surgery in a lot of areas. I think over the two legs against Barcelona, Ashley Young's performances, I mean, it's just yeah, incredible they, that he's They need he's players there. in a number of positions, especially in defence. Um, mm. But we, I, I don't think there's much more to say about Man United. I think mm. for me, Barcelona are the favourites for the competition. Um, but the team I'd always like to see win the competition, Jack Pitbrook, uh, the team that you've kind of been following in, in recent weeks and months. Um, I saw them outclassed by Munich at the Allianz earlier this season in the group stage, and thought oh, yeah. I thought that was I thought nothing of it to be honest. Yeah. Um, you've now watched them outclass Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. Yeah. Well, I wasn't there, but oh, so, I, I, I've seen the highlights. But you, <laughs> but you were. Yeah, Ajax Juve. Yeah, so I, I've done. I did both legs of the Ajax Juventus tie. Um, after the first leg, uh, which was one all, I thought, you know what, these guys are really good. And like, I hadn't, you know, obviously I'd seen the the Real Madrid games, but this was the first time I'd seen them in the flesh. And I thought, actually, they can do it. And then, even then, I was completely blown away by how good they were, especially in the second half on Tuesday night this week. Like the first half they were, you know, they were in the game, they were a bit overwhelmed the first 20 minutes, but they hung in. The second half they produced one of the best performances I think I've ever seen of like fast attack attacking dynamic interchanging football. And Juve had absolutely no idea what to expect. Like they looked completely flawed by what Ajax hit them with. Um I know Ajax scored, you know, they only won they only won the game 2-1 in the end, but they could have scored three, four or five goals in that second half against a defence that until pretty recently was like had the reputation of being one of the best in Europe. And they were just shredded to pieces, cut to little pieces by Ajax. So who are you loving in that Ajax team? Well, then? individually, I mean, they've got lots of great individuals. So off the, uh, Dusan Tadic has been fantastic as yep. a false nine. Uh, like, uh, you know, he was a good he's a good winger at Saints, but you would never have said that he could be a false nine for a team that's going to be in the semi, semis of the Champions League. Like he's, he's so clever. He's, he's like he's so technically skillful. Brilliant movement, dragging people all over the pitch. 
And then out wide, you've got Hakim Ziyech on one side who gives the ball away a lot. Like, he is pretty erratic, but he's also very dangerous. He keeps trying things and sometimes he, they come off. He's exactly that player. He Basically, he's got these insane numbers in terms of the amount of shots he takes from outside the I box. Know, yeah. and, stuff like that. and he is a good shooter from distance. Like, he has scored some incredible goals. But he's also, like... I mean, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, like Diamante on steroids. Like, he's much better than Alessandro Diamante, but he's a player who, like... We, we, when we say on steroids, we mean, like... Oh, yes. That's, like, a metaphor yeah, no, for, no. like, an exaggeration. It's absolutely not an implication. Uh, I would never suggest uh, that Hakim Ziyech has taken anything on toward, and I'm sure his drug test would prove the same. Uh, it was more a point that he is much better than Diamante, as was demonstrated against Juventus. Um, and, he, and he, I mean, he scored a great goal. He scored that, like, was that. That wasn't ruled out, was it? Uh, no, it, he didn't score. The goals this weekend were from Delict and uh, Van der Beek. Sorry, on Wednesday. Well, I think in the, the first leg. Ziyech scored he curls a, in a brilliant goal against... No, that was David Neres in the first leg. Ziyech scored a great goal against Real Madrid. I um, also could be confused because... I was in Holland at the weekend. Okay, and I th- I did watch the Ajax game. Yeah. Ajax beat the Grafschap six two. Right, so you've got and they and they're still in the. They I think if they win their last four league games, they win the Dutch title and they've got the Dutch. They're favourites. They're well. big favourites. Yeah, so they could win the treble this year. Um, Neres and the other wing is very good. Big fan of Donny Van der Beek who plays in midfield mm-hmm. and is he's like keeps on arriving in the box exactly the right time. Um, he's the one they think like he's going to stay. They think yeah. he's going to be like he's kind of the captain of the future kind of core of this team. Lasse Schoener is a guy who... It's quite an interesting story. Like, Ajax picked him up in 2012 from NEC Nijmegen. Um, just this kind of stocky little Danish midfielder. And lots of people there thought he was rubbish. But in fact, he's been an incredibly important player for them over a long period of time. Like, he, he doesn't look... He looks like he shouldn't be very good because he's short and stocky and bearded and slow. And you think, well, what, what are you... He looks like someone who should be playing for, like, Charlton or Ipswich. <laughs> but... Uh, in fact, he's really effective. Like, he keeps the ball well. He's always in the right place at the right time. He keeps the little combinations going, uh, even as he kind of, like, trots around the pitch. Um, and then, of course, you've got Frankie de Jong, who is, like, one of the, we talked about him a lot in the pod. We don't need yeah. to do it again this time. He's one of the most talented young players in the world. But what, what really matters is not the individuals. It's the team. It's the fact that they're all on the same wavelength. They all understand what they're trying to do. They all buy into the same philosophy. They... They know where to run. They know where their teammates are going to run. They can play off the cuff. They can. They, they've like learned complex patterns from Eric Ten Hag, and they can just like they. What they do is they prove that football is still a team game. Like in the Champions League, it's all about we all we talk about on this. And it's not just you know on this pod and in the whole football media. Don't take down the podcast. Is individuals like is Neymar can Neymar win PSG the Champions League? Can Cristiano Ronaldo win Juventus the Champions League? You know. Well, at least we answered that one. Yeah, like that. that you know, the, this is how people talk about football. And Ajax are the first team for a long time. I guess I'd like to go Madrid, maybe in have did it in their way a few yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. But yeah. who say actually football's a team game and. 11, you know, 11 pretty good players working as a very good team together are going to beat a bunch of individuals. And that's that's what we saw with Ajax Real Madrid. It's what we saw with Ajax Juve. Um, and it's so rare to see that because... And it, what makes... And I know that, like, people will say, like, Leicester City. And it's true. Like, Leicester City... Leicester City were a better team than they were individuals. Uh, Iceland, mm-hmm. uh, yep. on a smaller scale, were a better team than they were individuals. But, like, Iceland and Leicester City, if we're honest... They played like small club football. Like yes. Le- Leicester played kick and rush. Ajax is like, what if Leicester, but playing amazing football, 
what if Leicester what if Leicester played like Man City yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and that's like that's the one thing that you never see in football right is you never see a small team with less individual quality playing like a big team like you know like, and the, and that's the, the only equivalent I can think of in the Premier League would be like Blackpool when they came up um, they tried to play football. Roberto Martinez's Wigan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, yes. And they got relegated, of course. Swansea a bit, maybe when they came up. Pat push, but but not succeeding to this extent. Right. And, yeah. and and actually, in many ways, in the Champions League, this makes more sense because if you're a champion or a bigger club from a uh, let's, I'm not saying this in a disparaging way, a smaller league like the Eredivisie, you're playing against the Graf Sharp and Heracles and Sparta every week. And what that means is that you're playing this dominant attacking football. Yeah. And then you see these teams flip to playing like defensive stars in the Champions League against bigger clubs than them. And, it, and it's completely, it's like having a kind of, a, I don't know, like a bipolar team where, you're, where yeah, you've got yeah. two different ways of playing completely. So in many ways, it makes more sense to have this. I, I don't know much about Ten Hag. I think this is interesting because when a team pay, plays as well as this, as a, a combination... You have to put a lot of credit on the coach. Yeah, and I don't know a lot about Ten Hag. I don't know his background or, or where this has come from. If he's in, if he is ideological, or if this is more of a practical thing. Well, he. I think we can say he probably is ideological because he was Pep Guardiola. He was on Pep Guardiola's coaching team at Bayern, so and he's clearly bought into that kind of Guardiola style. But I think that's a really, really good point about how they how important it is for Ajax that they play the same way in the league as they do in the Champions League, and how they don't. That they don't go to a different type of football just because they're up against better teams. And uh, on Tuesday night in the mix zone, we spoke to Lasse Scherner. We were asking him like what the secret was, and he said exactly that. He said the secret is that we we we, we believe in our way of playing and we play it against whoever we, whoever we're playing against. All the way back to he pointed to their um, uh, they started in the second qualifying round of the Champions League. I think they played like Sturm Graz, Standard Liège, Dynamo Kiev. So they've been, so this this Champions League campaign has been going since late July of last year. Uh, like two weeks after the World Cup final, which is amazing in itself, um, but the fact that they've the the fact they've been playing this football all the way through the campaign, even whether they're playing Sturm Graz or Juventus, shows you how like how deep that commitment within the group to the style of players. Yeah, I think that's right. I think in terms of being a team that that can can thrive on uh, their content, you, you talk about. Um, De Litt and um, Frankie de Jong certainly they're players that could succeed more or less in any side in Europe at the moment but I think in terms of being being able to prove that it's, it's, a, it's a team sport beyond individuals is the most impressive thing and you, you talk about t- talent identification um, certainly last season uh, Monchi at Roma had his pick more or less on yeah, yeah. more or less everybody but the very top echelon of the market and he went into that Ajax side and, and picked uh, Cliver. Justin Cliver, yeah, yeah. I think it just proves that m- maybe he will develop into uh, an excellent player. But I think Ajax were more than happy to, to take the money and they had players to, to come in. I mean, Neres, you mentioned, looks excellent. He gives it away a little bit. I think towards the end of the uh, the second leg, he was guilty of maybe giving Juventus a bit more of a sniff than they deserved. So, so do you think it, using that, there is a fear that the the players who are inevitably going to get bought from Ajax mm-hmm. might end up being a product more of the team than you know than anything else? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's exciting for them that they've maybe earmarked Van der Beek um, in terms of a player that can that can stay. Can stay. Yeah. Um, you talk about Dolberg, who's been there for a little while uh-huh. now. He might have a bigger role uh, next season, and um, certainly they can lean on the academy and. And prove that many more can come, and we, we've seen uh, the likes of um, Delit and De Jong come through, 
Um, this was a side that was beaten by um, Chelsea in the UEFA, the youth, uh, the youth League a few seasons ago. So it's, it's not just a side that is uber talented, but it's now the the pathway and the, the setup in the first team that allows certainly outstanding talent, but the right the right environment for them to thrive and uh, the fact that it is a team environment I think helps helps expose the, the the real talent that they do have and I think they they won't be fearful of Tottenham at all and I think you mentioned while Tottenham will relish the opportunity to make a Champions League final against uh, a side like Ajax it's certainly a 50-50 tie and in, in terms of pure talent I think maybe they, they may even edge it given what they've achieved so far Liverpool uh, Barca, obviously the other one, Tottenham Ajax. Uh, the one point I wanted to make about Ajax is what I like what they've done already, which is they know people are going to get bought this summer. So they've already started making moves. Like they signed the kid from Heronvane yesterday. And they've already signed the, the Romanian Xavi, Razvan Marin, from I think from Stau of Eucharist. So like they're, re, they're restocking with good young players now so that when the money comes in for, for Delight later on, or Delict, however you pronounce it, I... I prefer delight, so I'm just going to always stick with delight until I get told off. Um, you know, someone might come in for Neres. Uh, that Everton have been linked. Uh, talking about Zayac, so, you know, Tagliafico. I think his agent's trying to get him out of Ajax as well. So there are, you know, there are ways to do things, and obviously they do things well in terms of the coaching and and the playing the football. But if you're also running the club well in terms of recruitment and stuff, like that is the best way to have sustained success. That's the best way to keep Ajax back where they should be in the final eight in the final four of the Champions League which is you know I saw Jack uh, the other Jack Pitbrook uh, joking about it on on Twitter earlier you know people call it the hipster derby between Ajax and Barcelona it's like well that's kind of where the viewers come like full circle isn't it you know it's Ajax aren't a hipster team this is one of the great teams in Europe but in in Holland they are the dominant club they are the biggest club Uh, and you're looking at it like oh these are an outlier and these are also the things that we're never going to see if, if we get this European Super League. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true, but it is an outlier and it is a massive underdog story. We shouldn't let the fact that, yeah, like Ajax are a great club and they are, it's great to have them doing so well, but this is still a massive underdog story for in financial terms. For sure, yeah. And that's why, that's why it's so exciting. But also why we should hate the idea of a European Super League. Oh, totally, yeah. I Only mean, like footballing Tories like Miguel would like a European Super League because it's just the big against the big against the big every week. Yeah. Well, I do think we, there is like, it, I think Juve have struggled or have suffered because of their Serie A dominance. The one thing I thought watching Juve, and I wrote a piece about this the other day, is that they're kind of turning into PSG. Like they're a team they who have no ideas, yeah. Yeah, they're a team. I mean, they're a bit. It's, it's different from PSG because PSG have always been like they are right, uh, or PSG have never like been good. Whereas Juve used to be a really good team. Like under Conte, they were a really good unified team, with which worked incredibly hard for each other and had a really good defense and they're really hard to beat and they were a proper they were a proper football team. Whereas over like gradu- gradually over the Allegri years, I think they've kind of gone. They've lost that. They've gone more and more individualistic because they batter Serie A every year. So they don't really have to worry too much about that. They're only focused on the Champions League. And they think that the solution to every problem is money. Like they think, well, if we can have one more big push to the Champions League, let's go and spend £75 million on Gonzalo Higuain. Doesn't work out. One more big push to the Champions League, £88 million on Cristiano Ronaldo. Like they... They they are locked into this kind of like PSG style individualism, which I think is, uh, which is like 
a totally a function of their dominance of Syria and their focus on the Champions League as the only place where they can get any meaning, any mm-hmm. meaningful success. And like, there's no that that doesn't work. Like, you you can't win the Champions League without being a proper team. You know, like, people always say, look at Real Madrid and say, well. You, Juve aren't great, but Real Madrid weren't great for three years, and they won the Champions League with Ronaldo. Bollocks! Like they had Kroos, they had Modric, they had Bale, Benzema, Isco. They're good players in every position, and they knew how they worked as a unit. These guys, Juve are rubbish. I was so I was so surprised by how bad they were with those two legs. Incredibly underwhelmed by them. I mean, they. There's also things like they almost are the sort of club who could do with an ideologue as a coach. Someone, right, yeah. someone to actually stamp it on it and go like, "This is how we play every week." Because you know you're going to play in this attacking way. Like, imagine like, you know I'm not I'm not trying to post him there, but imagine if Ten Hag was at, at Juve, right? Totally, yeah. And they're playing this fast, furious attacking football all the time. You're going to beat Empoli eight 0 one week, but then you just play the same way in the Champions League every, you know, in midweek, yeah. and nothing changes. You don't skip a beat. That's probably better. Allegri is a, is a twiddler in in my eyes. He's always a guy who. who He's, I mean, he's adaptable, which I think is a really good thing. I think he's, an, of, he's an Ancelotti. Lots of good coaches, like ex- exactly what I was going to say, was Carletto is is uh, adaptable, and I think it's good to be adaptable. It's good to have different shapes that, uh, and to be able to use the personnel in your squad to the best of their abilities. But there are times when there are other things. You know, it's like would you rather have Pep Guardiola or or someone like Ancelotti? It's like well, Ancelotti might be more likely to win you the the Champions League, yeah. but but Pep Guardiola is going to win you the league. I think there is a bit of kind of, uh, what's the word, reflection at Juventus. You know, there are two stories in Italian papers today that Cristiano Ronaldo was already considering his future there. Oh, wow. Um, in La Repubblica and um, Corriere della Sera. So Corriere della Sera said um, he would leave this summer. The other one said he wouldn't see out his contract and would probably next year would be his last in Italy. Um, and, you know, it's interesting for me because Juve have put a lot behind Ronaldo. You know, they've defended him from all... They've defended him from this lawsuit with Catherine Mayorga. You know that they've refused to. They've basically obstructed the uh, the law the lawsuit from being mm-hmm. served to him, which is a weird sort. I don't really understand how that's a thing where you have to serve someone with with papers personally. Um, but anyway, Juve have put a lot into Ronaldo, not just money. So it, it's interesting for me if this thing did come tumbling down, it would be yet another interesting story for this summer because there are a lot of big clubs this summer that are going to have a huge turnover. Um, before we go. We should just have a little look. We should at do the, how? How do we see it going? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Oh, a sorry. little prediction. So, Spurs Ajax, which is two teams that you've covered a fair amount of recently. How do you feel about uh, it? I think it's a total fifty-fifty. But if I had to choose, I'd say Ajax. You you like Ajax? Yeah. I mean, I think this is going to be a great tie. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I don't know as well as you two, but I I probably I'd go with Spurs. I really trust. Poch, uh, even without Harry Kane, I think Son is is in incredible form. But I do think that whoever wins this loses the final to Barcelona. Yeah, that's my that's my. Kind of, I mean, who are you picking, Jacko? Yeah, I think I think Ajax will advance. But then I I would be. Um, I believe the dynamic of a tie is um, going to be important. I think Ajax certainly playing at home in the second leg can can make a big difference. Um, it sort of shifts the the thinking almost because. Certainly, they they've gone out into the second legs with almost nothing to lose and proven themselves yeah. without much pressure. Now, perhaps they have to to seek a narrow defeat at um, at Tottenham and maybe even have to reverse it with with the expectation now on them to 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 win. So yeah, I think that will be interesting how they they deal with beating two uh, two giants and now 
as as we've seen, a couple of us predicting that they'll they'll go on to the final. Barcelona Liverpool. Difficult. I think I think Liverpool are too too well rounded um to um to, to come unstuck to just pure individualism. I think uh, certainly Messi obviously gives them a gives Barcelona a massive chance, but I think uh Liverpool have got m- many more ways of winning a tie, so I think Liverpool probably edge that. I just going to go for Barca despite myself. I think I sh- yeah. I think I Maybe I actually think Liverpool. No, I, I have to. I have to go Barca for sure. I'm, really? Yeah. Well, my, so my reasoning, if it helps you decide, uh, I think what Rafa said is absolutely right. I think uh, Liverpool are actually a very well-rounded side. Um, I think Barcelona are not the Barcelona everyone thinks. They're you know they kind of can be a bit boring four four two e under Valverde, but I think everyone you still like it's kind of uh, Miguel did that piece recently. Like everyone still underestimates Messi. Yeah. Like he he killed off that Man United game in in the 25 minutes, yeah. and United came flying out the blocks, and that could have been really problematic for them. And Messi just kills it; he just stumps in your throat. And and I think he can get at Liverpool like any he can get at any team in the world. Like he yeah. is the best footballer of a generation, best probably ever. ever. And I think I don't care who you're playing against. I mean, I'd love to see if Klopp comes up with a plan to try and deal with Messi. Or if he just sticks with his own game, because I don't know who you put on him. You do Fabinho or Milner or or someone to try and track him. If you let him run free, I mean, usually he'd be kind of coming off that right, running at Van, where Van Dijk is. I wonder if they might just try and put him on the on the other centre back, because if he starts running at those guys, they're going to be on skates. Yeah, I yeah okay, you you won me around. So Barca, Barca Ajax final for, for you. me. Barca to be Ajax for me. Barca Spurs. And I've got Barca beating Spurs in the final. Obviously, I think obviously you'll be huge for Pochettino's reputation if he gets to a final. Um, and the Espanol Barca thing will come up and stuff. But I just think Barca, and it'll be great for Messi to win another Champions League. And it is uh, like an obsession at the club right now. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it shows just how open this this final four are. I think I'll I'll just lean towards Ajax Liverpool. I think um, certainly the the home legs uh, as a second leg will. will Prove significant, and I think I think Liverpool probably have a bit much for Ajax uh, in the final. I think, yeah, the the quality will be there, and um, the the way they set up in midfield now will will be enough to sort of uh, stunt the way out Ajax have been slicing through uh, Real Madrid and Juventus thus far. A sixth Champions League title for Liverpool, says Jack Rathbone. Um Yeah, I do, the the one thing I did say about that final four, I think it's a really well rounded final four. Like it's. There's no interloper who I feel shouldn't be there. I think that Ajax, you could say, are inter- an interloper, but they fully deserve to be there. So I'm not disputing that in the slightest. Um, I really look forward to seeing how it all shakes out. There will be more talk, obviously, about that next week. We'll be looking ahead to Europa League as well when we know who the semi-finals are for that. Good luck to Arsenal and Chelsea tonight. Um, because I believe that we, we do wish luck to all the English teams out here. Is that, is that a rule? Yeah, let's do yeah, that. I think so. Um, Otherwise, uh, thank you for joining us as ever. We'll, I think we'll be back on Tuesday next week because it is Easter Monday. Um, if you celebrate Easter, make sure you enjoy yourselves. Uh, if you don't, then remember to subscribe to Beer52, beer52.com forward slash indie for your latest uh, box of craft ales. Uh, this month's one is an absolute beauty. So uh, make sure you get involved and subscribe to Indie Minds for as, as few as 15p a day. You can subscribe to extra events ebooks newsletters and so much more including exclusive interviews and 
a live podcast which is coming up hopefully quite soon and the details will be available through the usual channels so until next week uh, thank you Jack Rathborn for joining me thank you very much Ed thank you Jack Pitbrook for joining me thank you Ed and uh, thank you to everyone else we will see you next week goodbye say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.